1 Corinthians chapter 1 This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Sosthenes. I am writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you, now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way, with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord, Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I am a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. For now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news, and not with clever speech, for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish, since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews, who ask for signs from heaven, and it is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, 
both Jews and Gentiles. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you are wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. I love to look around me and find the unusual. When I first visited Charlotte, North Carolina, many, many years ago, I was really startled by how quiet it was for the large skyscrapers that were in the city centre. But also, I was very surprised at how sparkly and new everything looked. There wasn't much old. And if you come from London, England, you're used to seeing old in varying degrees. But this city looked as though it had been pretty much torn down and built back up again. And that kind of confused me. Charlotte does have a beautiful skyline that has been added to over the decades. But there are little parts of downtown, which strangely enough is called uptown because the crossroads that became the centre of Charlotte, are actually up on a hill. I guess back in the day, if you were in a horse and carriage or you were walking, it would be really evident that you were going uphill. But with all the driving that we do these days, it's not so obvious. And so that name just seems strange when usually a city centre is called downtown. So you will find the odd bit of old in Charlotte. And one of those is the latter arcade. So I was walking with a friend from Romare Bearden Park near the baseball stadium and we were walking through there towards the latter arcade which is a really neat little spot. There's a courtyard, you walk through there and all of a sudden you're in this really bright glass roofed tiny retail spot. The building opened in about 1915, I think, and they used to grade cotton there. So the glass atrium means that it's really bright so that folks could see very clearly what they were doing. And as I walked through there, there was a really interesting old shoe shine spot with just two seats and next to it, an old mailbox that on the slot says letters. And that's what I'm sharing with you today. Because as I was reading 
1 Corinthians, and it's a letter from Paul to the church in Corinth. I'm thinking there are a lot of letters in the New Testament. There are actually 21 letters. And so I thought, ah, going back in the recesses of my mind, I know I've got a photo that says letters on it. And since I've taken that picture, I've walked through other older buildings in other cities and found similar kind of mailboxes, and they capture my imagination. Because so few of us write letters and even receive letters anymore. I mean, we get bills in the mail and just general junk mail coupons and things that we didn't ask for. But a letter that somebody has taken the time to write with their hand, especially, is so precious and so special. And it truly is an art that has been almost wiped out thanks to computers and smartphones and technology that can connect us so fast. Why take the time to write a letter? But when you read the letters in the New Testament, it is a stark reminder of how important communication like that is. Text messages, social media posts, gone very quickly. The impact of having a physical letter is very different. I have a friend who collects old letters from estate sales, and you might think, why on earth would you do that? There's the romance of old correspondence, but also just the history, that snippet of somebody's life, not in a diary or a journal, often just the one-sided communication that you'll find if you buy a load of letters at an estate sale. And you can let your imagination fill in the gaps and there really is nothing else like it. Well, I'd love to hear from you if you write letters, if you've been to Latter Arcade in Charlotte, North Carolina, let me know. Visit the website ttlm.pictures. That's got the show notes for every single episode. You can leave commentary there. And if you would like to suggest scripture that I read, or even a location for me to photograph for Through the Lens Ministry, there's a form on there to let me know. I'd love to hear from you. So until next week, take care, and I'll be with you on the next episode.